So in your program this morning, if you got it, if you didn't get it, you're going to get it because we have candy in there. Can you believe that? There is candy in your church program this morning. Uh, next week, we are kicking off our Jonah series. And I've got to tell you, friends, I have not been more excited for a series since we kicked off this current series. I know I say this all the time, but I get so excited about every upcoming series. Like, here's the thing. Like, I've, like, referenced Jonah for more than 20 years in ministry. I've never done a series on Jonah. And now I'm like, I've, what, I've been, like, missing this. I've been leaving this, like, gold on the table, like, unclaimed, unshared. I'm so pumped to share Jonah with our community, and I want you to get excited too. So we are blatantly, you know, just trying to, you know, just get you to help us promote this series. Go and share this with a friend, and if nothing else, they get free Swedish fish there. So um, there you go. Grab that. I mean, I, and we got a bunch out there. I mean, get them out the door. They'll be stale in a week. Seriously, get them out the door. Um, if you eat them yourself, that's on you, but that the whole the point is to share it with a friend. So you're going to love this series. It's awesome. Um, before I jump into today's message now, uh, being um, away for a week always wells up this feeling in me. Thank you. <laughs> Gratitude. Uh, just to come back and to know that I have the opportunity to share God's Word, that this community gives me the opportunity to be in God's Word and to share it and to teach it and to lead in it. It is just, uh, it's such an incredible blessing, and it is always wonderful for me, you know, every couple of weeks when I get a Sunday off and I go and I'll visit another church or be with family or whatever it is, just, I, I just, I just truly overwhelmed with gratitude. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity that you give me to do this. And with that, let's get on to this. Today we are going to continue in and actually conclude our 2020 vision series. We started with looking at a vision for our lives, and we looked at Paul in that. We talked about Jesus's vision, his big win for us, and today we're going to zero in on this vision and this big win for our church, our church in particular now, for this coming year. Let's kick this off now by looking to God's Word. We're going to read from the book of Acts, chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. If you were here with Connections as preparation for our launch, I hope these words sound very familiar. I hope they are practically or in fact memorized and set to heart because this was our mandate. This was our charge. This was our blueprint for moving forward as a church because this, of course, is the blueprint for the church. Uh, we did not invent this. We did not make this up. We are part of things that began long before us. We are a part of things that are bigger than just us, and we are a part of something that is coming to a glorious conclusion, a wonderful victory. Boy, that first song was just like perfect for this series, this victory that we have and we are living into and praying for. Beautiful, just beautiful. So settle in now, your hearts and minds, for God's blueprint for His church. Acts chapter 2, starting verse 32. 42. It'll be on the screen, or you can look it up on your own little screen or in your Bible there. They devoted themselves. This is this now alive and living thing called the church that has been born on this day that we called Pentecost, the day that the 
promised Holy Spirit was poured out on God's people. It says more than 3,000, more than 3,000 were added to their number that day. They then devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. You're going to hear that many more times this morning. Will you read that last sentence with me? And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. I can't believe it's already the last Sunday in January, um, and we have to conclude this series and move on to the next great series, Jonah. Um, but it's amazing to me how fast it goes and, and, and how quickly things can get forgotten. So let's just take some time right now to remember that a new year, and particularly we might say the dawn of a new decade, is a wonderful time to hit the pause button, to look at our lives, to reflect upon where we're going and, and where we want to end up. A good way to think about it is that all of our lives, of course, re will require some course correction or perhaps a radical change in direction. All, all of our lives, at any given point, we, we need course correction. My youngest is in their dri is his driver training right now. When you're in driver training, you're always going back to those fundamentals. And the fact of the matter is you only drive successfully if you are engaged in constant course correction. Just try it. Actually, don't try it. But if you would try it, if you're going down the street and you're like, it's a straight road, so I'll just close my eyes and hold that wheel perfectly still. It doesn't work, right? I'm telling you, just to make it clear, don't try that. It doesn't work. It's amazing, actually, how much constant course correction we're always doing. And we need that in our lives. We, we need to constantly be reflecting on our lives and doing some course correction. We might say, like, yes, I've been in prayer. But, you know, I've been praying, like, for myself, like, just myself. I need to praise God. I need to intercess on behalf of others. Um, I need to lift up my church. So maybe we need some course correction in prayer. Maybe you're like, you know, I've been reading devotionals, but I have been reading God's Word. Maybe I should just be in God's Word and be thinking about it and processing it myself a bit more. Maybe I need some course correction there. Maybe the fact of the matter is you might say, you know what, I just haven't invited a friend to church or shared Jesus with a non-believer, with somebody who's lost and hurting and broken and needs the good news of Jesus Christ. I, I just... If I'm going to be honest about my life, I just haven't engaged in that for days, weeks, months, years. I hope not. I pray not. That's some course correction that we're, we're going to get into today. I should add, though, that some of us at some points in our lives, of course, we need a radical redirection. And praise be 
uh, for anybody who engages that when we recognize that our life is heading, heading you know, headfirst to disaster, self-destruction, the destruction of others, the destruction of family, horrible decisions, and praise God whenever we can make radical changes in direction to follow Christ because we believe and we've experienced, and if you are wanting to be a part of Connections, be a part of a community of people whose lives have been saved, <laughs> redirected, rerouted on course with Christ and living in and for Him now. And so the new year, of course, gives us this wonderful opportunity for some course correction or radical redirection of our lives when and where necessary. We began looking at our own lives. It's a good way to get everybody hooked. Let's just talk about ourselves pandering to the audience there. But we looked at our lives and said, you know, what are we going to do with our lives? And we really did look to the example of the Apostle Paul, who gave us very clearly a mission, a goal, wins for the trajectory of his life. He was aiming his life, of course, to know and be known by Jesus Christ. And he made it abundantly clear then that his goal was to preach Christ and him crucified. And so that, and he has this great statement actually in Colossians 1 uh, verses, I think it's like 40, uh, no, uh, 28, 29 in there, um, where, where he says his goal, his aim is to be able to present everyone perfect in Jesus Christ. That's such a beautiful image. Uh, not, again, that he would say he's attaining it or we attain it this side of Christ's return, uh, but to, this idea of to present people perfect, being perfected, being renewed and made alive in Christ Jesus. That was his aim. That was his goal. And, and, and he even goes further then. There's a lot we could say. I, we, I don't want to rehash that whole sermon. But one of the most powerful statements to me, being reminded of this, is, you know, he made it also his goal to be found with Christ and to be identified in his suffering. There's a challenging prayer for you maybe in, in 2020. Christ, may I be found in your suffering this year. Yes, be with me and bless me. I mean, following Jesus is awesome when following Jesus means turning water into wine at parties and walking on water and getting healed and getting set free and the blind, you know, getting eyesight and all those great things. But oh, what if we are willing to be with Christ and participate in his sufferings, to go without for Christ, to weep with Christ, to be crucified with Christ. That, that, was, that was Paul's goal. I, I, don't, I don't know if I can sincerely pray that, so pray for me, friends, that I might get there someday. So, so that's Paul's goal. Then we got into, really, what was Jesus's vision that inspired this for Paul? And we boiled it down to this, and, and I really want us to remember and, and live into this now and, and, and forever. Jesus's big win wasn't to get us to heaven. It was to get heaven into us. If Jesus' big win was to get us into heaven, you know, he would have, like, sent Elijah down on the fiery chariot and taken us away. There's, you had to go to Sunday school as a kid to know that reference, that story. But, I mean, like, if the goal was just, like, to get us gone and get us out, he'd probably just get us gone. But, but the, the goal, the whole point seems to be that Jesus wants to get heaven into us. Remember, he came preaching, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Take hold of it. Take hold of me. When you take hold of me, you're experiencing the kingdom beginning to come alive in and through your life. He teaches us to pray, our Father in heaven, holy is your name, your kingdom out there, your kingdom, uh, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, getting the kingdom more and more into us. If we jump all the way then to Revelation, we have this beautiful image. And, and don't forget this because 
This isn't theological nitpicking. This radically frames the vision that Jesus was sharing with us of what is and what is to come and how we live in response to it. The final vision isn't that we are whisked away, but that He comes back. And when He comes back, He brings heaven and earth together in the new creation, and we live and dwell together as the people of God in His holy city ever more. And I need to move on to new material, but that creates this continuity of purpose, of meaning, of vision, of mission for our lives here and now, that what we do with our lives, getting heaven in us and through us, matters. It matters imminently. It matters eternally because heaven is working its way through our lives into God's creation as we look forward to its fulfillment. And this is why we talk about this sort of already not yet reality of the kingdom. The the classic example of that, I mean, the classic example that you, you have to go to is of course, that, you know, Jesus, you know, talks, of, no, not Jesus, sorry. The classic example is when we talk about World War II and how there was D-Day in uh, June of, of 1944, but then there was V-Day or V-E Day not until May of 1945. There, there was, in a sense, the established victory of the Allied forces in the Great War, but it took nearly a year for its fulfillment, for its completion to happen. And that's a great way for us to think about. We have the victory in Jesus Christ, but we are awaiting His final return and the fullness of the victory in the kingdom of God. And so, again, this creates this continuity and this purpose and this mission for us here and now. And I, and I want your lives to be energized, in, enlivened, invigorated, by this in in the way that it has invigorated and driven my faith. The the fact of the matter is, um, you know, a lot of parents in the house, you know, a lot of us, so I I can't find an example here at the top of my head to relate to everybody. So parents in the house, like you remember, like like that day you, you first held your baby and you're like in awe, but you also had the sense of, oh my goodness, now the responsibility, the, the, the charge, the weight now uh, of what I have and what I'm called to do, and oh, this, this life that now I'm responsible. It, it, it's sort of like overwhelming. Honestly, as, as a preacher, there's a sense that I very often feel like that with the good news of Jesus Christ, but in particular, this announcement of the kingdom of God. It's like, oh, <laughs> I, I never feel fully adequate, to be perfectly honest. I never feel fully adequate to, to invoke the depth, the meaning, the importance, the priority, the impact that this can have. So maybe that can be a part of it for all of us to say, this is how precious, how important, how life-changing getting a vision of Jesus for the kingdom of God alive and at work in and through our lives. Okay, that was a lot of recap. Let's move on. So, we pick up then with this vision that Jesus has given to become then this vision lived out through His new people, the church, the body of Christ. 
After Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, he gives a kind of marching orders to his church. And a lot of us know or would be familiar with what has been called often the Great Commission. The Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28. Let's just read it together here. Always good to be reminded of this. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. A great way to understand the mission of our church, the mission of the church, our purpose, our calling, our vision, is that we are called to be disciples who make disciples. I mean, that's the summary right there, to be disciples who make disciples. Now this week, when you're having an interaction with a friend and they ask you who you are, you can just answer, hi, I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ. Won't you be weird then? Well, yes, you will, but maybe that's not a bad thing. You're already kind of weird in my opinion. I know a lot of you. Why not be weird for Jesus? Why not be a disciple of Jesus Christ. There's a certain raising of the bar when we put it that way. In, in our culture, we can still say we're a Christian and it's kind of like, yeah, you know, a lot of people are, say, say they are, but doesn't it kind of raise the bar, heighten the intensity a bit to say, I'm a disciple? Because discipleship really encapsulates it all. A disciple is going to be with the Savior. A disciple is going to learn from the Lord. A disciple is going to worship Jesus. A disciple is going to invite others along the journey. A disciple is going to serve. You know, discipleship encapsulates so much of what we are called to do, but we are disciples who are called to make disciples. Disciples who make disciples. I love how it breaks down, though. When you look at this, and maybe some of you heard, you know, kind of sermons that try and really break this down and tease it out, the key to this is the going. The key is that going, that the disciples are a going people. Disciples are going men and women. We are people on the move. We're action-oriented. We're not waiting around passively. We're not wondering, oh, what is there to do in the world? It's like it, we've already been told, go! <laughs> Just go! And in your going, I will be with you. Just go on this purpose, this mission, this drive to make disciples. Go, well, everywhere. <laughs> Anywhere and everywhere. Go and baptize and then teach. What this highlights is what we try to highlight here often, that often people experience becoming a part of a community and then living into the faith, the beliefs of that community. Many ways, many churches, and maybe some of us have experienced a kind of reversal of that, where the feeling is, if you get it right, if you organize your life, if you live, you know, if you get everything in order, your beliefs, your actions, your behaviors, then you can be a part of it. But the thrust here seems to be go and baptize. Welcome people into the family of Jesus Christ because people are eager to believe. In fact, what we would say is people are dying for something to believe in. They're dying for a salvation. P people are ready to receive the good news that there is life in Jesus Christ. And we baptize people, and we welcome in, and then becomes like the teaching. Then the real education process in many ways begins. Now that you're a part of it, you have this sense of belonging, you have this assurance of acceptance. 
Now let's grow. So I love that. We go, we baptize, we teach, and then the, thr- and then, then the great promise of this for us is the people of God, um, and I actually I don't want to make a blanket statement like we're all there, but then to be a part of the people of God, to be baptized, to be on this journey, we have this wonderful promise then that He is with us to the very end of the age. He's with us when the mission seems like it's firing on all cylinders and everything is going great. He's with us when it seems like the mission has fallen apart and it's going to hell in a handbasket. He's with us whenever we feel like God is blessing us and wonderful things are happening in our families and in our marriages and in our work and in our communities. He's with us when we feel like it's all going wrong and we are suffering. He's with us whenever we get healed, whenever miracles happen, when things just, just inexplicably to the glory of God happen. He's with us when it doesn't happen. And it doesn't happen a lot. He's, he, he's with us. When you feel it, when you don't feel it, when you know it and you're wanting to know more, He is with us because that's what with usness means. He's just going to be with us. That is who He is. That is what He does. That is His promise. And that promise becomes fulfilled to us in the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. When we turn to the book of Acts, this is where we, the church, truly get our blueprint, our marching orders, and begin to experience what it's going to be like for us to be a part now of this mission. We're going to pick up here, and let me just make reference to uh, Acts chapter 1. Let me read this, and we're going to kind of pull back into that Acts chapter 2 statement. Here's what happens then. Right before Jesus ascends to heaven, where he's seated at the right hand of Father, and we are promised his return. So this is right before sort of the risen, reigning, and promised returning Jesus Christ. He says this, Then they gathered around him and asked, Lord, are you at this time going to restore, here are our words again that we were talking a lot about two weeks ago, the kingdom to Israel. He said to them, It is not for you to know the times of the dates the Father has set by His own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Here we have Jesus making this reference to this already not yet kingdom. The disciple, it's very fascinating here. It's so interesting. Whenever Jesus was coming into Jerusalem, what would lead to His betrayal his crucifixion, his death, they were still rooting for revelation, uh, revolution. Like, they were going to go all in on, like, military mission. They, they would have been behind him in that. And Jesus says, that is not how this is going down. And he's crucified, he's died, yes, he's buried. And it was game over, remember? So it's game over for the disciples. It's game over for the church. Guess we bet on the wrong horse. Guess he was another would-be, has-been Messiah. I guess we were wrong, and let's just get on with it, and then resurrection happens, and then that casts an entire, I mean, resurrection was our series when we kicked off again. Resurrection changes everything. No, actually, there was a deeper meaning, a purpose, a calling to everything that he was saying and guiding and showing to us. So, Jesus sort of answers in this, you know, is, is the, so the interesting thing here is they immediately want to again default to, are you going to restore the kingdom? And here he's again saying, already not yet. You already have the kingdom. It's not yet time for my return. There's work to be done between now and my return. And here is what's going to power this mission now for you. The Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit comes and the Holy Spirit is poured out, 
then this mission goes in full force. And then that's where we pick up this Acts chapter 2 model, blueprint, mandate for us as the church. As we look at that passage, and you can kind of keep that open uh, or get, talk about it more with your group, what, what we see in that passage is it, it breaks down to this. Um, it's a narrative text. It's a story. There's a lot of things referenced, but if we take a step back from it and we say what's unfolding here, most every scholar will agree, and, and anybody in Bible study will agree, that they seem to just be showing categorically a radical devotion to the risen Jesus Christ and worshiping Him, to one another as the body of Christ and doing life together, and to going out and serving the world. We see this radical commitment, of course, to Jesus Christ and worshiping Him. They're gathering in the temple courts. They're, they're, they're learning from one another. They're, they're breaking bread as He broke with bread and revealed Himself to them. They're radically committing to worshiping Jesus Christ because for them this was not some mundane drudgery and this act that they were required to do. Having experienced the power of the risen Christ in their lives and being filled with the Holy Spirit, there's a sense that they could do nothing less than worship, honor, glorify, be with Him, and be together as the people of God. And they made it a part of their rhythm, gathering in the temple courts, just as was set up before we see this new continuity in worshiping now the risen Jesus Christ. They became radically committed to one another in a way that truly began to transform the Roman Empire and onto the rest of the world when they became the very family of God and began to love each other in the form of a family that actually went beyond the way that families cared for and loved one another. The Roman world and the empire at this time was wrought with infanticide and exposure, uh, 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 just p uh, p polygamy, and, 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 and oh, I, I won't even get into it. I'll just sound like a ranting preacher, you know, just like they're just awful things going on. <laughs> and they began to love one another as Jesus loved them. That was his new command for them. Love one another. I have heard that before as I have loved you. And that began to change and transform them as a people that truly began to love one another to the point that they were gathering daily in homes, sharing with anyone in need, even selling, going without to give so that others would have and there would be no needs amongst the people. The world took notice and then they began to live into that. So we see this radical commitment to worshiping God to one another. And then the overflow of this is it just begins to change the world around them. It says they are enjoying the favor of everyone. Oh, to be a church that enjoys the favor of everyone around us because they cannot deny the power of Christ at work and the love expressed within the people of God. That is what the people were witnessing and seeing. And I hope now, I hope that this all sounds remarkably familiar. <laughs> because this is simply how we framed Connections Church. What are we all about? Connections. Making this connection with God through Jesus Christ risen, reigning, returning for us, and alive now at work in our lives through a union this mysterious, beautiful, life-giving union that we have in calling Christ Savior 
and living with him as the center and Lord of our lives. Making this connection then is the body of Christ, because if I put my life in Christ and you put your life in Christ, guess what? We are together now, whether you wanted it or not, whether you like it or not, guess what? You call yourself a Christian, I belong to you, <laughs> and you belong to me, and we are in this together, and we're a family. You've got to be a preacher to just rhyme off the top of your head like that. There you go. So we, we become this family in Jesus Christ now. And then the way that we love one another as Christ loves us, I mean, that, that, that's the heart of the mission. The world just needs to look at the way we love one another and, and just say, oh, oh, I, I need me some of that. <laughs> oh, I've got to get me in on some of that kind of community, that kind of fellowship, that kind of care, that kind of love, that kind of support. I need to get in on that. That is what begins to change the world. So we just, we're about these connections that we have in God through Christ, connecting together as the body of Christ and then being the body of Christ out in mission. Here's what strikes me about this passage, though. These people are deeply, deeply flawed and imperfect. There's this sense sometimes in this uh, kind of, uh, uh, of just, just rose-colored glasses look back on, and you'll hear it sometimes, that we need to get back to being an Acts 2 kind of church. We, we don't need to get back to being an Acts kind, 2 kind of church. We just need to be an Acts 2 kind of church. And the reality is that the Acts 2 church was filled with terribly imperfect people. You know who started this Acts 2 church? Well, one, it's, you know, Jesus and sending his Holy Spirit. But you know who Jesus and the Holy Spirit used? They used this guy named Peter. And going by the timeline, it's interesting that this is a historical document. We know the timeline. We know that 53 days before this, you know what Peter was doing? He was busy denying that he even knew Jesus and had anything to do with him. And here he is 53 days later, preaching a sermon that brings more than 3,000 people to faith and the church gets born. That gives a guy like me hope. And I hope it gives you hope as well. That he will use terribly imperfect and flawed people such as your pastor to do his work and in fact to glorify himself all the more. And because God was able to use imperfect people in an imperfect community to do this perfecting now work that Paul aimed his life towards, the thing that strikes me is we can do everything that they did. We can do and we can be everything that that church was being and doing. There is no reason that we cannot be a worshiping community. There is no reason that we cannot be a gathering community as the body of Christ doing life together. And there is no reason that we cannot go out and share the love, the good news, the hope of Jesus Christ with our world. We can do everything that they were doing. We can be everything that they were being because the same power that rose Jesus from the dead the same power of the Holy Spirit that gave birth to the church is the same Holy Spirit and power that is at work in our lives and is the same power and Holy Spirit that is enlivening, enlivening and invigorating and leading His church in mission in the world today. That's the amen moment there, by the way. That was the crescendo. All right, good. I mean, there's no reason. I like it. I still have to prompt you all on this sometimes. So, uh, I mean, that, I mean that, we can... Th 
This is who we are. This is what we're called to be. Everything that is avail was available to them is available to us. And so we live into this now. Now, now a couple things uh, on this. A couple things on this. Uh, one is that this mission keeps first what matters most. This mission keeps first what matters most. Um, did, did we get that slide or that screen that has uh, Acts 2.47 on it? There we go. So this, is, this just keeps forward for us what matters most. I, I, I thought, I, I, here's, here's to be perfectly honest, there's a very human side to preaching, and the human side of preaching is what's actually recommended against in Scripture about tickling people's ears. And, you know, you know, th there's always this pressure of, oh, I should find a new way to say it. I should find something clever. Maybe there's something I missed, you know, in Jesus' statement, like stand firm and you'll win life. You know, maybe I never saw that before. So that's a story from a couple weeks ago. You know, maybe, and I, I remember I just spent some time this peak, I was like, this past week, and I was like, oh, maybe there's something new. And at the end, you know, finally I'm just sort of sitting there, I'm like, there's, there's nothing new. It's all been revealed. I don't have to reinvent this wheel. This is it. <laughs> like, like, I'm sorry, but I can't get any better than that. <laughs> I hope that's good enough for you. I hope this inspires you. The Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. Because people need saved. People need saved. I have people in my family that need saved. I have friends that I know and love dearly who need saved. There are people in our world who need saved. Some of them need radically saved and redirected because they are on a path to self-destruction and it's destroying lives around them. Of course, we know that, right? We know some people need saved. And there are people who need saved from selfishness, from greed, from an inward-turned life that is all about them. People need saved from simply being joyless. People need saved from depression. There's so many aspects to salvation. That's why it is so wonderful that Jesus came to save. What do you need saved from? Jesus, fill in the blank. He will save us and call us to life in Him. I'm sorry, but I, I just can't do any better than that. I hope that's good enough for us. I hope that's a compelling vision for us because that's what it's going to be. That's what it's going to be. This is what we're going to be about as a church. The Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. Can I just say right now how terrifying it is for me to put that as the standard and the goal for us out there and how overwhelming it seems by my capabilities, by my talents, by our resources. I'm scared looking at that. But that's what it is. To pray, to live in such a way that the Lord might add to our number daily those who are being saved. Here's the second part of that. This is so humbling and yet so freeing. Because as we go back to that passage from Acts 2, what do we find? They were just doing the devoting. And it was the Lord who is doing the saving. That makes all the difference. They were just doing the devoting. I don't know if that's right English or not. They were doing the devoting. They, they were just devoting themselves to their Savior. They were just devoting themselves to one another. 
They're just devoting themselves to going out and being a light, to being salt, to being a witness out in the world. And it was God who was doing the saving because guess what, friends? It is only our God who can do the saving, right? And so we just do the devoting, and God does the saving. And I want to invite the team to come forward. They can get ready to lead us in some worship, and then we're going to lead into our, um, uh, our congregational meeting, which I'm actually super excited about. Here's what I like about this. Think about it this way as we get ready to go and enter some time of worship. This just kind of reverse engineers the church. I am by no means an engineer by training, by skill, by knowledge in any sort of way. But I like this idea of reverse engineering, how sometimes the best way to figure out something and to go back to basics is you reverse engineer. This just reverse engineers the church, right? If we are a community praying that the Lord would add to our number daily those who are being saved, we have to reverse engineer the church. Well, if God is adding daily to his number those who are being saved, we need to be a welcoming, welcoming, worshiping community. And so we need to be ready to receive people in worship. If God is in the business of saving people and then we are to baptize them, we need to be prepared to welcome people into the body of Christ. If God is daily saving people, we need to then be prepared to go and teach them all that he has commanded to us and create pockets of community where people can grow in Jesus Christ. If we're going to people living into God saving people, then we need to support and encourage one another. We need to pray for one another. We need to inspire one another. We need to challenge one another. We need to be in our Bibles learning the Word of God. If we're going to be asked questions by people coming to a saving knowledge, we need to have a foundation to stand on. We don't need all of the answers, but we should be able to give a reason for the hope that we have. This idea of just reverse engineering makes everything fall into place and make everything make sense, I think. But it comes down to this. We do the devoting and God does the saving. And that's God's blueprint for the church. I'm going to say a prayer for us. And then we're going to worship God. And then we're going to have a congregational meeting. Let me pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, it, it is terrifying to be, I mean, truly, it is terrifying for me to stand in front of a small gathering of people, your body, and to say, oh, that we would be a community that you might see so fit and bless us to add to our number daily those who are being saved. But I want to stand here before my people and before you and stand together now and to say, I think behalf on all of us, but we're jealous for it. We are jealous in the best possible way for it that you would use us to add to your number daily those who you are calling to new life and hope and forever the kingdom of God with you. That you would add to our number daily those who are being saved. May this be our guiding mandate, call, mission. May we put this in front of us each and every day and live into this now and for the rest of our lives or until you come again. We pray this in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. I'm just going to kind of call this here. Um, um, my wife, Robin, does like all the graphics and stuff. Let's just like make that a graphic and like get that out to everybody and just make that our mission. And if you want to be a part of that mission, awesome. Be a part of that mission. And if you don't, I hope you change your mind. <laughs> Let's just like make that and get that out there and say in 2020, we're just going to pray this like all the time. God, add to our number daily those that you are saving. Because that's what you do, God. You save us.